Ephesians 4 from verse 17. Hear the words of the living God. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, we ask you for your grace and your mercy as we approach your word. Lord, help us to truly put off our old man and put on the new man. Lord, we want to be a holy bride. We want to be a holy church, Lord. Please, Lord, um, teach us what this passage means. Help us to, to not be like the world because we are not like the world, Lord. And I pray that you will teach us practically what it means and help us, Father. Fuel our love for Christ, fuel our love for the Father, that we might walk in true righteousness and holiness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christians are different than the world. Jesus said we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Christians are the first of God's new creation. God said in the very beginning, let there be Light And he made the first world beautiful and good. But when Adam sinned, he broke it. He broke mankind. He broke the world. It was from that day on that we experience every form of suffering imagined imagine to man. From your slightest disappointment in the day to, your, to the greatest or the deepest depression, all of that is a result of Adam's sin and our willing sin against our Creator, against our God. But because God is rich in mercy, he sent his only son into this broken earth. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to become a curse, to become the curse for us in our place. When he came, we saw how he obeyed God perfectly. He loved God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind and loved his neighbor as himself. We saw how he loved the broken, loved the sick, loved those who demon possessed. Taught the spiritually empty and those who are tired and brokenhearted, they found Christ to be the source of joy, the bread of life, the flowing waters of their souls. He was the bread of life that people were looking for. And at the very end, he satisfied our greatest need to satisfy the wrath of God over our sins. God poured his wrath, poured his anger on his own son. And that's what we deserved. We were the ones that were supposed to hang on the cross or to be cast away from the presence of God under his wrath. But that's not the end. Jesus rose like an eternal sunrise. When Jesus rose again, that was the sign. That was the day that we know that he is going to make all things new. He rose on the first day of the week, on a Sunday, to show that he is going to bring in a new creation. Like God rested on the seventh day, we now rest on the first day to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, that he is making us new. He's, make, he's going to make the world new. He's going to make everything new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth where there will be righteousness, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering 
forever again. And that's coming. Think of your life, your short life. 80 years is going to be a dot of the billions and billions of years. It's not even going to be the start of our new heavens and new earth. That's where we're going. Christ is making all things new. And he begins right here. He begins with us, with Christians. And just as God commanded in the beginning, let there be light, so God has commanded that into the heart of every believer. Every Christian, God says, let there be light. And we see Jesus. We see him. And we see him as valuable, as our treasure, as our greatest satisfaction. And so the first picture of heaven, the first foretaste of heaven, is this new creation, the church, this gathering, this assembling. As we sing together, we hear voices, our voices of our brothers and sisters worshiping Christ together. We have already seen this new creation back in chapter 2, verse 10. Remember, 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Look at verse 15 as well. Christ abolished the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. That's God's plan. That was his plan from all of eternity. To take two enemies, Jew, Gentile, and unite them together into one, into, into his son, for his son, but then also into one another that, as well. And that's why Christians are different. We are that first, the firstborn, the first fruits of the new heavens and the new earth. We've already seen um, what's the first way we walk worthy. Remember, chapter 4, verse 1 is really the heading of this entire practical section. From chapter 4 is now the practical section. And the, the verse 1 says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And the first way we've seen how to walk worthy is in verses 1 to 16 is by walking together, walking in unity. And that's really the first way we are already different than the world. The world cannot walk in unity. The world cannot get along. The world always divides. The world cannot forgive. The world cannot um, have a, a deep, intimate relationship with anyone that's not like them. The world constantly divides. But the church is different. We have Jew, Gentile, people from different walks of life, different languages. We're coming together and we love one another and we love Christ. That's not normal. That's a miracle. The miracle from God to accomplish to make us one, to make us not just one, brothers and sisters, looking at each other as siblings, as family members. And we have seen that every single Christian has also been given gifts, right? Christ has given these different gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints, that the saints, that the church members do the work of ministry. We do the, the ministry. Everybody, every Christian builds one another up until we reach maturity and into the full knowledge of Christ. But now from verse 17, chapter 4, verse 17, Paul is now going to say we should walk worthy, not by walking in unity, but by walking in purity. Purity. That's how we walk worthy of our calling, is to no longer walk as our pre, like our previous life looked like. In our communication, we walk worthy. In our anger, we walk worthy. In our purity, in marriage, in parenting, in working, even in spiritual warfare, we walk worthy by walking differently than the way the world walks. That's really what the rest of chapter 4 to 6 is going to teach us. In all of those areas, Paul is going to become very practical. How do we communicate? How do we do marriage? How do we do parenting? How do we um, walk in spiritual warfare? So we're going to look at that as we go along. So now it's by pursuing our purity. 
In fact, he's saying, really saying this. He says, Christian, you cannot live the same as the world because you are not like the world. Live differently because you are different. Again, Paul, the Bible shows that we live out of our identity. We say, stop being like that because that, that's no longer true of you. That's no longer who you are, Christian. That's who you were. So stop living like that. And that's so important. Isn't that how the devil will lie to us or our own sin will drag us down? It's like, this is just who I am. I'm just an angry person. Right? If, if, you, if someone says that, what is that? that they're adopting the, the, the identity of their former life. And the Christian should say, no, that was your former life. Now you are new in Christ. So stop. Stop being like that. Stop living like this. But you see, a Christian needs to be reminded of that. Or, you know, I'm just a narcissistic person or I'm just a selfish person. No, you're not. If you're in Christ, you are new. You are a new creation. We are new people because we are a forgiven people. Sin has, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. And some of us need that often, that reminder. Listen, stop living like your former life because you're not like that anymore. Stop that. But some of you might not need a reminder. You need to test yourself whether you really do know Christ. Sometimes we live like the world, not because we are just falling or sinning, but because we actually are part of the world. We actually are still dead in our sins and still walking like them because we are them. So there's also that sense of we should look at our lives and honestly test ourselves, test ourselves whether we are saved or not. So the text divides into two parts. We're going to look at the first point is just stop walking like your former self. And Paul's going to go back into that former self, but then also remember that you are a new person. So that's the first point. Stop walking like your former self. Look at verse 17. It says, Now this I say in testifying the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So remember, Paul, Paul is writing to a majority Gentile church. And that's why he says, don't walk as the Gentiles do, because that was their former life. Their former life was from amongst the, the Gentiles. And Paul says, this is not optional for you. You can't decide whether you want to do this or not, because he says, I testify in the Lord. In the Lord. And the point there is, Paul is just... Um, appealing to his authority again. He says, what I am saying to you is in the Lord. It's from the Lord. This is not a suggestion, 10 tips to live a better life or 10 ways you can improve your self-esteem or, or whatever. No, this is not human opinion or human speculation. This is, thus saith the Lord. Stop it. There's really, sometimes for a Christian, that's all you need to hear, okay? Stop walking like your former self. God says that to you. God's command is that. So to refuse that is not just to refuse human opinion or human ideas. It's to refuse God's voice, God's, God's command to us. So there's the first reason. Obey in the Lord. But also there's a second reason why it's serious. It's verse 30. Just glance down to verse 30. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit lives in us, lives in us as believers. What does the Holy Spirit do? He's leading us to holiness. He's leading us to Christ. He's leading us to put off our old person. He's leading us to prayer. He's leading us to the word. He's leading us to love one another, to carry one another's burdens, to be one. He's constantly leading. 
Listen to 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. It says, same kind of motivation as well, what Paul says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought of a price, so glorify God in your bodies. You are not your own, Christian, for you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells in you. Shall we then now grieve the Holy Spirit by walking contrary to His leading? Shall we spurn Him, reject Him, quench Him who lives inside of us that wants to lead us to Christ and lead us to obey Him? Remember, the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit for a reason. He leads us to holiness. He hates our sin. He wants us to put off our old man and to walk in newness of life. And that's why we ought to listen. Listen in the Lord. This is God's Word. But listen because you, are, you belong to Him. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Don't grieve Him. Walk in holiness. So don't do business like the world, right? Don't take bribes. Don't lie to get, just get ahead. Don't cover your, 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 your tracks. Don't refuse to pay taxes, right? Don't do business like the world does business. We are Christians. Don't do marriage like the world does marriage. When the going gets tough, divorce is an easy option. It's an easy choice. There's a constant shouting and screaming at home, swearing, there are no spiritual disciplines in the home as well. There's no Bible reading. There's no prayers. There's no singing. Family worship is dead today in many families. And when I say families, I'm not just thinking of when you have children, right? Family worship is for married couples. When we have families, and if you're a man, men, it's your job to lead. It's your job to lead, to disciple your wife, to lead your wife in prayer, to lead your wife but again, we, we like the world, right? We come home and we switch on the TV. We just enjoy a relaxation time and we have no concept or idea of discipling our wives and discipling our children. Don't do parenting like the world. Don't make me count to three, all right? Or bribing your kids or positive parenting without using the rod, without using um, Proverbs methods of discipline, right? Or, or like the world that... Only disciplines after the thousandth time after you've said no to your child. So they, we call it teapot discipline. So it's or that uh, whistle kettles, right? You only you only do something with your child once the steam has been building up too much, and once it whistles, then the children have to run away because now daddy or mommy is coming, right? We call pastor to come do a resurrection or something. <laughs> That's, but no, we don't do that. We we discipline the first time they disobey. We. We don't, we don't take a passive approach to parenting. We don't give our children a pseudo-parent, the phone, and say, you can fall asleep with video, with endless videos, endless YouTube, because we have to do our own things on the side. You see, we don't do, we're not like the world, even in our parenting, in our marriage. Don't be like the world in your working. How does the world work? We're gonna, in chapter 6, when Paul talks to slaves, we're going to see people are eye-pleasers, eye-servants. When the boss is there, suddenly everybody's busy, you know, everybody's busy on the computer. Once the boss is out, there's relaxation, there's peace, there's holiday, right? Or only working when the deadline comes closer, right? We, that's, that's how the world works. No, we don't do that. You see, so beloved, we can just go on. In all of these areas, be different, be holy, walk holy. So are you a Christian? Do you know God? Do you know him who is awesome, who is glorious, who is worthy? Or better yet, does God know you? Does God know you? Does he know 
your heart? Does he know your struggles, your prayers, your obedience, your repentance? Does he know that? Does he hear that? Then stop walking like the world. And I think that the, the key thing for us to remember is in our fear of God, we know that there's no area of our lives that is not bought and belongs to God. So when we, we don't just give a Sunday, the slither of our worship for Christ. We don't just give this hour to Christ. We give every area to Christ. Every area belongs to him. And therefore we desire to worship him and obey him in all areas, all relationships, all tasks, Right? But why not? Well, why, why should we stop? Well, the rest of the verse, Paul now gives us one simple reason. He says, because that is not who you are anymore. If you have found Christ, or if Christ has found you, you cannot think the same way. That's your former life. And Paul, again, this is, I think, the third time Paul goes back to our former life. You see how it's really important to have a good understanding of who we were as unbelievers and who unbelievers are right now. That gives us clarity, thinking about what's going on in the hearts of unbelievers. So Paul says, let's just read these verses and just see again. This is not man's opinion of man. This is God's opinion of man. Look at verse 17. It says, no longer walk like the Gentiles in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. The picture is bleak, right? Futile thinking, darkened minds, dead, ignorant, hard hearts, callous, greedy. Right? Is that how we think of unbelievers? And I, I think there's a kind of a progression in the text. There's, there's, these are sinners. It's not just any sinners. These are sinners that has matured. I don't think everyone starts with verse 19 that says they have become callous. Hard-hearted. Not everybody starts there, but this is the inevitable end of someone who doesn't repent or someone who God, whom God doesn't save. This is the logical end to someone that lives in their sin. They will become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But right at the bottom, we'll start right at the bottom and then move progressively up. The first thing that happens to a sinner that refuses to repent is hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. We see that at verse 18. Right at the bottom, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. And then he says, because, why, why are they like this? They are ignorant. Why are they ignorant? Paul goes one step further and says, they're ignorant due to their hardness of heart. That's right at the bottom of every person outside of Christ, a hard heart. A heart that has no feeling for God, feeling or a sensitive conscience, unwilling to obey God, a love for the world rather than a love for God. And essentially, that's why the main problem today is a love problem. People have a love problem. They love the things of the world more than God. That's why people don't want God. Listen to John 3. Jesus says this in verse 18. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people what? People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. 
Why does people not want the light? Because they love their darkness. They love their sin just too much. People can even agree with us intellectually, but they won't come because of due to their hardness of heart, which leads to the second, or another verse I want to read for us, 2 Thessalonians 2.11. This is an interesting verse. Look at this. It says, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. Now look at what's the opposite of believing the truth. Who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What's the opposite of people who do not believe the truth? Not believing a lie. People who have pleasure in unrighteousness. That's why they don't believe the truth. That's the opposite of believing. I have more pleasure. I have more joy in my sin, in my unrighteousness. And that's the main problem of, man, of mankind. From birth, we have this heart. We have this heart that doesn't delight in God, that doesn't want God. We love our sin. All of us are proud. All of us think too highly of ourselves. All of us are too easily inclined to not obey God and to be wise in our own eyes. You see, so as, you, as mankind, we don't need improvement. We need our heart surgery. We need a new heart. We need a transformed heart. Or as the new covenant explains, we need the heart of stone to be taken out and the heart of flesh to be given us. That's the need. But if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't change our hard hearts, here's the second thing which it leads to. It leads to ignorance. Having a hard heart, according to Paul, leads us to ignorance in verse 18. Look at verse 18 again. It says, so we are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance due to our hardness of heart. So the first thing is hardness of heart, which leads, secondly, to not knowing God. Ignorance of God. People are ignorant of God because of hardness of heart. So in other words, people don't understand because they don't want to understand. God's glory and his revelation is everywhere. People see his glory declared through the heavens. People know God exists by, by just opening their eyes, looking at the stars, looking at biology, looking at everything in creation. But what does Romans 1.18 tell us? What do people do with this creation? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. People see God's glory, they know He exists, but they refuse to accept it due to their hardness of heart. So this is important for apologetics. Eh? This is, if, you, if we're thinking of apologetics, trying to win people to Christ, worthy goal, beautiful goal, we must remember, where does ignorance come from? Below that is hardness of heart. And we need a miracle there. We can give people truth, we can give people, but we have to give them the gospel. We have to give them we have to point them to the Savior and say, listen, Christ commands you to repent. Christ commands you to come. That's the only solution of, to your ignorance. Here's an illustration that might help you. Um, I, I hope many of you have read the first book of the Chronicles of Narnia, the magician's nephew. But there's a scene where, where Aslan creates Narnia by singing. So Narnia, Aslan, when he sings deep notes, it's like the elephants pop out of the earth. And when he sings... High notes, all the lilies pop over into the mountains and all those things. And then Lewis wrote this about Uncle Andrew. Uncle Andrew was listening to this lion singing. And he listened to this beautiful quote. 
He says, now the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. <laughs> so if you try to make yourself stupider than you are, guess what's going to happen to you? You are going to become stupid, right? And then what happened? Andrew, Uncle Andrew, as he was hearing these beautiful notes of this lion, he said it made him feel so uncomfortable. His voice made him feel things he didn't like feeling. And so what Uncle Andrew did was he was just convincing himself over and over again, it's just a lion, it's just a lion, it's just a lion, it cannot be real, it cannot be real. And before long, the singing changed into a roar. Before long, as he was trying to convince himself that this is not true, this is not real, all he could hear was a lion roaring and it soon became ugly to him. Instead of a beautiful singing, it became an ugly roar of a lion. And that's all he could hear. That's what happens to unbelievers. When unbelievers see the singing of our God in the, in the creation, the harmony of God, the beauty of God, the glory of God in creation, they put their fingers in their ears and say, it's not real, it's not real, cannot be true, cannot be true. And before long, all they see is chaos. All they see is randomness. And before the long, they just hear nothing. They can't hear his voice anymore. They can't see him anymore. Hardness of heart leading to ignorance. They no longer know God. Because they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, which leads to the third thing, darkened deadness. Now, chapter 2 says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but here it means being cut off. Look at verse 18. It says, they are darkened in the understanding, alienated from the life of God. You see, so this hardness of heart leading to ignorance leads them to be cut off from God, alienated from God, and separated from the life of God. So being separated from God is to be separated from life. He is the source of life. He is the giver of life. And if you cut yourself off from Him, you are in deadness. Listen to John 1 verse 4. It says, In Him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is both light and and life. What happens when people cut themselves off of the light, cut themselves off of life? They're in darkness. They, they're in deadness. Refusing to love Christ is to love death, is to love death and the end of sin. That's why the end of verse 17 says, they are in the futility of their minds. Their minds, their thinking is futile, vanity, meaningless. And I love to say, I want to encourage you, if, even if you are the most uneducated saint who loves Christ, who knows the gospel, you are more intelligent than the smartest PhD atheist or philosopher because you know what matters for eternity. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge and wisdom, Right? It's the beginning. Nothing else matters. Unbelievers who are cut off from God have nothing. Nothing good. The very good things they have is borrowed to them by God. Psalm 16 verse 2, we looked at this in detail. It says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Unbelievers have no good apart from God. The little joy they believe is like the last meal of a man on death row. Right? They're enjoying a meal but they will soon be executed. That's how unbelievers are. Everything they're enjoying here is the closest they will ever get to heaven until they will be cast into hell 
forever and ever. You see, everything they enjoy is like that last meal of a, of a man waiting to be executed. It's futile. It really is vanity of vanities, which leads to the last thing, a seared conscience. This leads, after people are cut off from God, now verse 19 is true, it says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I think verse 19 is a mature sinner. So right, it starts with hardness of heart, leads to ignorance, leads to darkened deadness, and then after that leads to seared conscience. They've become callous. Callous, think of a callous. Think of when you, your finger is callous. Like there's no more feeling left in your fingers or in your, in wherever, that, that, that the nerves have been so um, broken and so dead, it, it no longer has any feelings. And that's what happens with people that, abandon, that, that constantly harden their hearts. Before long, they don't feel guilty anymore. You see, even like if you look at a child, even children who are unbelievers, they have a, their hearts are still, or their consciences are still sensitive. They still feel, they cry easily when they break something, when they are guilty. What happens when that child grows up and, oh, I've done this a thousand times. It's not that bad. So they can't, their consciences of an unbeliever dies the death of a thousand cuts. A thousand times refusing, a thousand times not humbling yourself, not repenting, leads to the state of deadness, of callousness. And then look at the end of verse um, 19. It says they are greedy, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. People want more and more, and it doesn't matter how much they get, it's never enough. Sin doesn't satisfy them. They are greedy. They do you ever, did you ever had one of those most irritating itches, right? Those moments when it doesn't matter how bad you scratch, how much you scratch it, it just doesn't go away. And the only relief you have is when you scratch it, right? That, that moment when you scratch it feels so good. And the moment you stop, it's worse, right? You know what I'm talking about. All of you know what I'm talking about. But beloved, that's how unbelievers are with sin. You see, sin gives that temporary Relief, temporary pleasure, temporary joy. But when, they, when it's done, it's, they're left emptier. They're left with feeling more empty, more angry, more a desire for more. And they just the more they get, that's really one of the most saddest pictures of an unbeliever. It doesn't matter what they do. They're never satisfied. So Paul is saying, look at unbelievers. That's not who you are, Christian. You, are, you have been cleansed. You have been washed. You have found the source of all joy where your heart can finally rest. Your heart can finally find contentment in this life and in the life to come. For you have Christ. So stop. Stop walking like them. Which leads to the second point. And he, he now goes to verse 20 and says, Remember who you are. Remember who you are. And remember what Christ has done. In verse 20. It says, But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not the way you learned a person. Isn't that interesting? You would have said, learn the gospel or learn truth or no, learned Christ. It's not just about learning facts about God or facts about Christianity. You see, um, becoming a Christian is learning a person, learning, studying a person. Imagine going to school and there's no exams at the end. It's just getting to know this person that you are studying, that you are learning. And that's, that's Christian discipleship. 
Whoever wants to come after me must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Following Christ, following a living Christ. That's our desire. That's true Christian sanctification. Abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. And that's what we, our aim is. So the problem is, if you are still living like the world, if you're still be living like a Gentile, what's the problem? At the bottom, you're not pursuing Christ. You're not pursuing Him. If you, if you pursue idols, you're leaving the fountain of living waters for empty systems that cannot satisfy you. Listen to 1 John 2.15. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you see? It's the same kind of point. Notice the two opposites. It's either the love of the world or the love of the Father. The two cannot cohabitate in your heart. The two cannot coexist in your heart. A heart that is full of love of the Father has no room for love of the world. And again, the more you love the world, the less you will love the Father. So what's the secret to killing sin? Is to feel your love for the Savior. Feel your love for Christ. Feel your love for the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember to turn on the engine, what we saw in chapter 3, to pray for the Spirit to strengthen us that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And that's why we want to study Christ. Listen to John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. As people were bitten by the deadly snakes in the wilderness, they merely looked up to the bronze serpent made by Moses, and when they looked, they were healed. Jesus says that's what you need to be healed from your sin, to be healed of your itch, the itch of sin can only be healed with the look of Christ, to look to Him, to be satisfied by Him. And looking to Christ, hanged on a tree, He became that serpent, that cursed image for us. And if we look at Him, we look away from ourselves, our sins are washed away. He will give us that new heart, that clean heart. Only He can. So the only way to stop sinning is by cultivating this deeper love for him. So beloved, before you turn on your TV, your phone, spend time in prayer, spend time with him. Before you pick up a book about the Bible, pick up your Bible and learn Christ himself. Study Christ. Before you eat breakfast, eat spiritual food for your hungry soul. And if you don't have time, skip breakfast. It's more important be urgent. Be urgent to find Christ. Listen to this attitude. Philippians 3 verse 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, scubalon, in order that I might gain Christ. So, but I do want to emphasize this point. When we open our Bibles, it's not just a duty. So don't think of your Bible reading as a wall that ends. Right? Check. Done. I've finished my reading. I can now go on to do what I want to do. Think of your Bible reading as a window, as an open window into the heart of God, to see God in it. So when you come to the Bible, Lord, please show me your glory. Show me. Satisfy me once again, Lord. And you come even when you don't feel it. Right? We don't just read our Bibles when we feel like it. We come because we trust the, the joy will be at the end of it. After we've read our Bibles, after we've spent time with the Lord, we trust 
that our, as our hearts are exposed to his glory, our hearts will warm up. And that's why we go to God and say, Lord, we are hungry. Lord, wean off my heart from sin. Wean my heart off from worthless entertainment. Wean it off, Lord, that I may find you. And that's how we learn Christ. You see him in the pages of Scripture. You trust him and you walk out and you obey him. That's being a disciple. And the reason you can do that is because of verse 22 to 24. And we'll close here. Verses 22 to 24 it says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Look at that. Even, even as believers, we still have deceitful desires in us. So although we are dead to sin, sin still lives in us. We don't give in to these desires. They are deceitful. They're lying to us. Right? Verse 23. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we have come to Christ, when we've trusted in Christ, we have put off the old self. Like old dirty clothes, we have taken that off. That's no longer who we are. That's also the symbol of baptism. As we are baptized, we show the old self is dead. I now belong to Christ. And then secondly, after we have put on, we have received a new spirit of our minds. Look at verse 23 again. It says, and to be renewed in the spirit, the attitude, the mindset. That's really, I think, a good way to translate spirit there is a new mindset, way of thinking. Right? When we say to someone, that person has a negative mindset. What do we mean? We, don't, we mean in everything they think about, in every, their whole disposition of their thinking, their whole attitude to life is always bent or pushed in the negative. They're so negative. They're always complaining, always moaning, always um, grumbling. Now, that's how the world is. The world has a, a mindset bent on sin, bent on their life. Look, uh, listen to Philippians 3 verse 18. It says, For many of whom I have told you, now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. That's the world. Their mind is constantly bent towards this world. They, their minds cannot pierce the clouds. They cannot think of life afterwards. They only think of their short 80 years right now. That's all they care about. But Christians have a new spirit of their minds. We've been renewed. We now think and long for heaven we, like Moses, rather are mistreated with the people of God instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Because we know this world is so small, so temporary. So we give our lives away. We give our, our money away. We, we, we give everything away for the sake of Christ. Because there's a resurrection. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. Christ is returning. It's worth it. So we have our minds constantly pierce the clouds. We or setting our minds on things above, not on things on earth. We, when we come to something, when we do something, we ask ourselves, how would this please my God? How would this please my Father in heaven? How am I going to become more like Christ in this? That's our mindset now. Our mind is bent towards God, and that's why there's a war within us. Because sin still is in us. Sin is still dragging us to our old self while we have this new mindset, and that's why there's a war within us. But thankfully, the war has been won. It's more like guerrilla warfare, right? As we have sin is dead, it's like just from time to time coming out, trying to conquer our hearts. Sometimes it wins a piece here and a piece there, and sometimes we, we resist it. But that's the messy process of sanctification. But now, even though we have a new mindset, we still need to be renewed. 
in our minds. Listen to Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by tasting you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's why we need regular exposure, regular Bible intake, listening to good teaching, being part of a church, right? We need this. We need this renewal of our thinking over and over and over again that our hearts are weaned off from the world, that we do not conform to this world. But now we've also have been made new. We've received new clothes in verse 24. It says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God has given us true righteousness, true beauty, true holiness in Christ. Notice that this is called the creation. We've been created in God. Man was created after the likeness of God in the beginning. But because of our sin, that image of God has been distorted, been warped. Here comes Christ. Okay, let's see how far we can go. Um, I know the speaker is going to last for a little bit and then it's going to go. Otherwise, I'll switch it off. So let's see how far we can go with the battery power. And I have a, a light here. Okay. So now you just have to listen by faith. <laughs> okay. So man has been created in the image of God. We've, been, we've, fall, we've fallen. Our image has been distorted. But now Christ came, which is the image of God, of the invisible God. And now as we become more like Christ, we actually become more into the image of God as well. We are being renewed back into that original image. You see, as we become more holy, as we become more in the image of Christ, we're actually becoming more human again. We're becoming back to that place where we were meant to be. And that's true holiness. True righteousness is to become like Christ. It's to become like Him. So now... From verse 25 onwards, Paul is going to show how this looks like practically. So you see, you, you have been put off, you have a new mindset, you have been put on this new man, humanity, but now put it off in your daily life. So there's going to always be a put off element to your sanctification and always a put on element and a renewal of your mind. So that's, that's the full picture of sanctification. Sometimes we struggle with sanctification because we either only focus on put off or we focus on put on. Right, But we have to do both. Or just or forget the middle step, the be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Study the scriptures. And that's what we need. We need to be born again. We need that clean water of the spirit. And that's what God has given us. So beloved, this is the good news. The point of this text is simple. Stop walking like your former life. Why? Because that's no longer who you are. Christ has made us new. Because now we have learned Christ. And that's the goal. Let us pursue Christ. Let us learn Him as we walk in holiness and so walk worthy of Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much, Lord, for your for this moment, these, this time You've given us as believers together. Lord, thank you that your word truly does give us that re renewed mindset and helps us to think biblically, think like you. Lord, please um, help us in those areas where we are still walking like our former life. Help us not to embrace the false identity that that presents to us. But Lord, help us to walk in purity because we are pure. We are clean by the blood of Christ. Lord, I pray for our evangelism towards unbelievers who are still futile in their thinking, darkened in their minds, ignorant due to the hardness of their hearts. May we, may we be compassionate on them. May we 
desire to, sh to expose their hearts to the light, to the light of Christ, to the light of the gospel, that we might come to the bottom of their hearts, Lord. And please, we, we ask that you will, through our love, through our, our truth, that you will save many people through our efforts of evangelism. Lord, only you can change the hearts of man. And that's all we pray for and ask for, Lord. So please, Lord, sanctify us as your bride. May we walk in, in holiness as you are holy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.